0: Dear Church if you, were, uh, if you were writing a letter to the church today, what what would you say? For the early followers of, of Jesus, right letters were the primary way of of communicating. Church leaders would send letters to the churches that they had planted or or churches that they had visited to continue to encourage and to, to instruct them. So if you were writing a letter to Clay Church today, what would you say? Or we might be able to think of it another way on this Mother's Day. If you were writing a letter to uh, your kids, um, if you have children, or, or if you don't, if you were writing a letter to, say, the, the, the youth of Clay Church today, you wanted to encourage and, and guide them in the faith. What would you include in, uh, in your letter to them? Let me invite you just to, to hold that question in the, uh, in the back of your mind today. We're, uh, we're going to dive into First and 2 Timothy um, and a little bit of Titus today. But before we do that, um, I want to just take a moment to share a brief teaching that I pray will kind of help us uh, avoid getting hung up on a couple of things that you find in these uh, in these letters uh, in first timothy in particular um you'll find a reference if you read like the bibles that used to be in our pews many of you have bibles at home that are the new international version if you read in the new international version you'll find a reference in first timothy to homosexuality um and then in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, you'll find a reference to uh, women in the church being silent and submissive, that women shouldn't be teachers or, or speak. In my experience of Bible study, um, we so often get hung up on these two short verses in, in 1 Timothy, and we miss the rest of the letter. So I want to just pull these two verses out as we get started this morning. Um, and then we'll, we'll, just so you have a little bit of background and context, um, and then invite us to kind of leave that behind so we can look at the rest of, uh, of the letter. In, a, in the next year at Clay Church, we're going to have a Bible study that wrestles in more detail with these, these, these and similar passages, but let me offer this today um, so that if you're reading the text this week, you'll just, you'll have this background with you. So the reference to homosexuality, we'll start there, uh, in the letter of Timothy, um, comes to a community, so it comes to a specific place, to the church in Ephesus, where there was a practice, a really disgusting pagan practice, where um, boys would be given to young adult men for essentially practice of sexual acts. We can talk more about this in in a deeper Bible study, but let me just say this, if this practice is indeed what what the letter is referring to, and it's very likely that this is what the letter was referring to. Um, it's an explanation that makes a lot of sense. This is much different, very much different than what we think of when we talk about, the, about homosexuality today. Um, so I just, I just want to lay that groundwork for, for further study and further reading. Um, as for the reference to women being silent in the, in the church and submissive, we can't know the full details, but but here's what we do know. Um, Priscilla and Chloe are both listed as church leaders in other places in the letters to the early church, right? They don't appear to be silent or submissive. So as we read this, we should keep in mind that that first, patriarchal culture of the time was very different than today, Um, and that Jesus included women in his ministry in really progressive ways for the time, and that Paul then emboldened women leaders in the church. So, many scholars today believe that these this, this reference is highly contextual and relates to a, a specific issue in a specific place, not to women in the, in the church in general or everywhere. Um, and I'll just say this, Tori preached a fantastic message last week on the book of Galatians here. Pastor Kathy will be preaching at the end of this month. So, so you can know that we here at Clay Church don't take that one verse of Scripture literally. We believe it was speaking in, in context. Now, I will say this, these two verses are very real in the Bible, and, and as such, they deserve attention and, and study, and I'm always open to study and, and to learn and grow, as, as I, hope that, uh, I hope that we all are. We're also going to find in a moment, though, that in this same letter to Timothy, um, there's encouragement not to get caught in arguments that aren't grounded in the love of Jesus or taking us anywhere. Not to get caught in meaningless or directionless arguments and miss the greater teaching. So we're going to take that advice from, from 1 Timothy today and, and look at the pastoral letters. Let's, uh, let's explore together. Would you pray with me? Lord, guide us this day in your word. May these words and our thoughts today open new ways of understanding and knowing you. Break open our hearts this day to more fully experience the power of your love. God, speak to us. Move us, guide us in these moments together. Amen years ago I was in Florida for uh for a few weeks visiting college campuses it was part of my first job out of out of college and I had weekends off and would try to see the sights and I was in Florida and I'd I'd done a day at Disney and so I I wanted to just kind of get out and away from people and and into nature and so I visited this state park that uh that promised the opportunity to to see manatees and then some great hiking and uh so I, I went and I looked at the manatees, which are amazing, by the way, and then, uh, and then I decided to go for a hike, until so I found a trailhead, and, uh, and when I got there, there was a sign that, uh, that recommended a guided tour, um, and then there was a book next to it for signing in. Now, I had done some hiking at this point in my life. I'd never seen a book for signing in at the trailhead. I thought that was kind of, was sort of odd, um, but being in my mid-twenties and invincible, I said, ah. I'm just going to go for a hike, and I started into the trail. Um, I was about 20 minutes in, so I'd been hiking a while. Um, It was mainly boardwalks that kind of weaved back and forth through this swampy area. I was about 20 minutes in when I saw a sign that said, Beware Alligators. You might have thought that that would have been enough to give me pause, but remember 20s and Invincible and on boardwalks and thought I was fine, and so I kept going. Uh, the trail sort of left the boardwalks and then was uh, essentially kind of high ground in between the the swamps, trees everywhere, and it was marked tree to tree, and so it was kind of getting harder to, to follow. And then I saw another sign that said, beware alligators. And I don't know why it took two signs, but at the second sign, I went, oh. And three thoughts went through my head at the same time. Without a guide, I could go no further safely on my own. That was thought number one. Thought number two, if I saw an alligator or one wandered across the trail, I had no idea what to do. Like, what do you do when you see an alligator? Do you run? Do you put a tree between you and the alligator? Do you make noise? I I had no idea. A guide would have known, but I ignored that advice. Thought number three, if an alligator ate me, no one would find my remains because I hadn't signed the book. No one even knew where I was. This was before cell phones. And all they would find is my car in the parking lot. Sorry, Mom. I'm not sure I've shared this story with her. <laughs> I decided then and there to turn around and, and go back. And if I was going to hike in the swamps of Florida ever again, I would take a guide with me. We need guides in our lives because sometimes maybe even quite often we need guidance we need someone to guide us when we've strayed off the path maybe we don't even know it we need someone to guide us who's been on the paths that we're we're about to tread before we need someone to guide us when we're, when we're tempted to go the wrong way. We need someone to guide us when we, when we think we can do it ourselves, we can do it on our own. We need someone to guide us when we feel like we're in danger or we sense that we're alone. We need someone to guide us when the path ahead, it seems too difficult. We don't think that we can, would do it. It's going to be impossible on our own. We need guides in our lives because we need Because we need guidance. The letters of 1 and 2 Timothy and and Titus in the Bible, they're known as the pastoral letters, or maybe you've heard them called pastoral epistles. That's the fancy word. They're filled with guidance addressed to Timothy and, and Titus. Timothy and and Titus were leaders alongside Paul. Paul had recruited them, trained them. He was their teacher. He was their guide. He had discipled them, and then he placed them in, in churches to reach others, and he wrote these letters giving them encouragement for their ministry. And some of that guidance was personal, but, but as leaders of the church, th- these letters would have been shared with their entire communities to give, to give guidance. So perhaps as we explore these letters ourselves, we can, can see in this guidance some, some ideas, some, some guidance that is of value to us today. For example, first Timothy one, right? Avoid meaningless talk and divisive arguments. All three letters actually offer this guidance. 1 Timothy 1 starts out with these instructions to Timothy. It says this, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, this is where, where Timothy was leading, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And then it goes on, it says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. 2 Timothy, it picks up this same theme. 2 Timothy 2, 14, 15, it says this, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Then it goes on, it says, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Godless chatter is often... Often translated as gossip. Right? The question becomes what in your conversations is pointing people to Jesus? And what in your conversations is not? Where are your conversations or or even even your arguments? Where are they where are they centered and driving people deeper into Jesus' love? and where are they not A few verses later second Timothy sort of lays this out even more direct about avoiding arguments that, that only tear apart relationships and draw us away from Jesus just says it straight up it says don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels There was a a point in my social media life where I needed to post this on my computer every time I got on Facebook. Like, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And in case we haven't gotten the point or, or think this was only an issue in Ephesus or one church, the letter of Titus addresses the, the topic again to another church and another reason. It says this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Now, people will sometimes ask, does this mean that we should avoid controversy? Like, should we avoid arguing about anything? And the answer is no. In fact, the pastoral letters, um, they give instructions for confronting sin. They give instructions for, for gentle correction of others. But the first letter of Timothy, it says the whole point of, of these instructions is, is to love. Right? The whole point of these commands is to love. The church is to, to hold on to the central doctrines that, that point to the love and grace of Jesus, but not be pulled, not be pulled away from that central love, right? By other arguments that are that are trivial when they relate to the, the central love of God and and neighbor. For the early church, right, those arguments were based around who's in and who's out. They they argued about circumcision. Do you have to be circumcised to be part of the church? They debated on details about whether you had to believe uh, the resurrection of the dead in a a certain way was was the right way to to believe. They had power struggles about who was in charge based on family trees and, and genealogies. What it came down to is what is essential and what is is non-essential. That's kind of one way to sum up this guidance. What is essential to sharing the love of Jesus and what is not essential? What matters so much to sharing the love of Jesus that it can't be ignored, that it must be addressed? And what, in the scheme of eternity, is not worth arguing about, breaking relationships over? Let me offer just a few of what really... My own thoughts, Pastor Brian's own thoughts, on essential and non-essential. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential. Landing on one particular explanation for this mystery, which is in itself beyond comprehension, is not essential. Worshiping God, as we're doing right now, it is, it is essential. What music is sung, what the, what the decor looks like, where we are, all those details are, are non-essential, aren't worth getting angry over or, or arguing over. Knowing that we all sin and need forgiveness is essential. Grading sins or, or parsing sins or deciding how we should judge sins of others is only dividing us and, and pulling us away from Jesus. So what for you are the are the controversies or arguments today that that are essential, that are grounded in the love of Jesus and neighbor? And what for you are the are the controversies and arguments that only seek to, to divide us? How are we guiding each other to what matters most? The guidance of these letters goes on. They go on to say, we are a family. And we must take care of our family. The pastoral letters remind Timothy and Titus that, that as a church, we aren't just some random people who, ha- who have membership to this organization together. Right? This isn't just another organization. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Although I hope to come to you soon, says Paul, Writing to the church, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. There's that language. God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We're family, and, and as a family, we're, as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're the, we're the pillar of the foundation of truth. How's that for a guiding thought? So how do we live into that instruction? Well, the letters say if, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then we care for each other in ways the world doesn't always do. 1 Timothy 5, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he was your father. Treat younger men as, as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute Purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Then a little while later it goes on, anyone who does not provide for relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Family that provide for one another. What does it look like? These letters invite us to ask what does it look like to be the church that provides for one another? How do we model being the family of God to the world around us? The next piece of guidance from the letters is we should drink more wine. Just kidding. I, was, I wanted to know if you were paying attention. We'd be stretching the context of this verse disastrously, by the way, if, uh, if, we, if we made it say that. Uh, but there is a verse in First Timothy that suggests using wine because the water was causing sickness. Um, it, it, you can see it here. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Now we're getting into sort of the, the details of guiding the community. So I, I guess if your water is causing sickness... Um, you could take this verse as guidance, but don't go, please, don't go home and damage your water supply and then say, well, the Bible tells me to drink more wine. You cannot do that, all right? All right, joking aside, let's get back into, let's look at two more pieces of advice, two more pieces of guidance from the pastoral letters. The next one is this, the secret to joy in life is being content with what you have been given. The secret to joy in life is being content with what you have been given. We are taught early on in our culture to live on more than we make. Right? That happiness comes from accumulation. The pastoral letters, they expose this as a, as a lie. First Timothy 6 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Food and clothing, it says. Are we content with that? Could you be? Younger people with us today, um, let me offer just advice that I wish someone had shared with me when I was in my 20s, or maybe somebody shared it and I wish I hadn't ignored it. Um, But if you learn to live on 80% of what you make, saving 10% and giving 10%, you will find that as your income grows, you can always be content because you learn to be content on that on that 80%. And you'll find incredible, incredible joy in being able to always give more and more as your income grows through life. And and you'll find when you reach retirement, if you start start right out of college at putting 10% into savings for retirement every year, you'll find when you reach retirement that you'll have more than enough. Right? If you start now, the rest of us are catching up. But this advice speaks to us too because we can learn to be content with food and clothing and a roof over our heads. This is the, the guidance that we find. And there's more in these three letters, but but let me offer just one more guiding thought from 2 Timothy. God wants to do good in the world through the gift of you God wants to do good in the world through the gift of you right you've been given a gift by God and and God is inviting you to share that gift and God is ready to empower you to to share that gift the letters say, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It goes on: Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Sometimes I think we read this verse and we think it's just written to, to Timothy, but remember, this letter was to be read to the whole church. Right? And all three letters are filled with this, with this call to do good, to live holy lives so that the, the world can see the goodness of, of God. Right? You may think you're worthless. You're worthless. You're not. You may think that, I don't know what gift I have to share, but you have a gift to share. You may not know how this gift will make an impact. None of us do for, for certain. God just calls us to fan into flame the gifts that we have, to be rich in good deeds, to share, to testify to the love of Jesus in our words and in our actions. As you see, we need guidance. We need guidance. We need guides in our lives who will point us, who will point us to the love of Jesus, who will point us to the gifts that we've been given, who will who will point us to this this truth that that we're put into this world by God, created in God's image, to make a difference, to share God's love. Followers of Jesus, engage with the church and the teachings of Jesus, always seeking guidance and growth. We followers of Jesus, we know that we need a guide in our lives and that Jesus is our ultimate guide. And here is the really cool part. If you, if you tuned out at about the time of drinking wine, tune back in for this one. The really cool part is this. As you follow and learn and grow as disciples, you become a guide for others. Right? Hear this. As you follow and and grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you become a guide for others. Because God wants to do good in the world through the gift of you. So every week, we have a faith-fit challenge at Clay Church that takes what we're reading and, and hearing and, and invites us to put it into practice. This morning, may you, may you hear this, this invitation, accept this challenge to be a guide for, for others. So the challenge is this. Let me invite you this week. And I always say this, if you're like me, do it this afternoon, because if you put it off, you'll, you'll forget to do it later. But, uh, but here's the challenge for this week. Write a letter of encouragement to the church, to Clay Church. Or if it's easier to think about it this way on, on this Mother's Day, um, write a letter to your kids or, or to the youth of the church with encouragement for living in faith. What guidance would you give? to the church today, to be a, a witness to God's love. If, if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, if, if you need somewhere to begin, um, read the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and, and Titus, and think if you were using the language and ideas of, of today, how would you address the, the central doctrines, the essentials of the, of the faith? What would you say to to the church today about the importance of family? What would you say about the use of money? What would you say about finding one's gifts? And let me invite you, you don't have to do this, but I would love to see those letters. If you'd be willing to share those with me, I think it'd be fun to to, to look through those and and see what everybody would would say to the church today. You can email them to me at bdurand at claychurch.com. I promise I will never share beyond... Uh, um, beyond my own reading, without your permission. But I just want to put that out there, I invite you to write these letters and, and share them with me. You have gifts. Hear me say this. Hear the guidance of, of these letters today say that you have gifts to guide others to know the love of Jesus. You may not know it, and that's Okay. You may not be feeling it right now, and and that's okay too. But God knows. And God loves you. And the Holy Spirit is going to keep at it in and through you. Let's pray. God, we give thanks on this day for for the blessings that you pour into our our lives and for Jesus as our guide. He showed us the way and now, Lord, I just pray that we hear your invitation to walk in that way and recognize that as we do, we get to be guides for others. May we live with the love and grace and forgiveness that you offer us in Jesus and then offer it to others as as a way for the world to know it's the way for the world to know your peace and your joy and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.